Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. These are the words of Paul. This is what he pens. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Here's our text. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to faith. If service is your gift, then in serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. The message this morning primarily is anchored to point number four uh, on your outline. I would encourage you to take notes. I think you'll listen and process information better if you do. And so we're going to move rather quickly to get to point number four. And so... Uh, get that, that writing utensil ready. Let me define, first of all, what a spiritual gift is, because that's what we're talking about. God has gifted you. You have been given a spiritual gift or gifts, and you have been called to be a good steward of that gift, to use it, to deploy it, to employ it for the common good, the good of the body. And so here is my definition, a couple of blanks for you to fill in there, for a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is this. It is a gift... That is a supernatural ability given to you by the Holy Spirit. One of these is given to every believer at his or her conversion. And that gift or gifts equips that individual to serve a very unique function that edifies. Just another word for builds up. That edifies or builds up the body of Christ. The supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to every believer at his or her conversion and that gift is given to serve a unique function that edifies or builds up the body of Christ. That is our operating definition. Okay? Everyone who is truly in Christ, who has been uh, redeemed, who has a regenerate heart, who has become a new creation in Christ, who has passed from death to life, has been given at least one, if not multiple, spiritual gifts. Let me give you some truths regarding spiritual gifts. Write these down. Number one, every believer has uh, been given at least one spiritual gift. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6 there. Everyone has been given, having gifts that differ according to the grace that God has given us. Every believer has at least one gift. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 that to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, your spiritual gift was not given to you primarily for you. It was given to you to exercise for the common good, for the good of the body. But you have one. You have at least one. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. Secondly, no believer has all the gifts. Okay, You don't have all the gifts, and that's a good thing. Why? 
Because you need the person to your right, your left, behind you, across the worship center, in the front row and in the back row. You may have been given multiple gifts, but you have not been given all the gifts. That's because we need each other. God wants us to live uh, interdependently upon one another. That's why we're a body. Singularly, yet made up of many parts. Number three, we don't all have the same gifts. Already mentioned that. Look back at verse six. Having gifts that differ. Differ. Not better. Not superior. Not elite. But that differ. They're different. That's a wonderful thing. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that God has given us. Number four. Your spiritual gift is a grace. It's a grace given to you by the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, the Greek word in verse six Uh, For the word gift is the word charismata. Charismata. It has the word charis in it. Matter of fact, some of you in this room, if not maybe back in the kiddos area, have the name charis. It's grace. Grace. That's what that word means. And so our spiritual gifts, we're going to talk about what some of those are, categories of spiritual gifts, here in just a few moments. But your spiritual gift is a grace gift to you received by the Holy Spirit. Your spiritual gift is a grace given to you by the Holy Spirit. And then number five, your gift enables you to edify or build up the body of Christ. Paul tells us in in Ephesians chapter 4 that God has gifted us, He's graced us. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, that the body of Christ might be built up. Might be built up. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Your spiritual gift enables you to edify or build up the body of Christ. There's just some some apples on the tree of spiritual gifts. Let me share with you a few cautions regarding your spiritual gifts. Okay? I want you to be encouraged, but there are some necessary cautions to mention as well as we're talking about how God has gifted us uniquely for the good of the body. Number one, write this down. Don't allow the gifts of the Spirit to take priority over the fruit of the Spirit. Don't allow the gifts of the Spirit to take priority over the fruit of the Spirit. It's been said that giftedness with character is essential But giftedness without character is lethal. We need giftedness with character. The gifts of the Spirit used in the fruit of the Spirit. You know, friends, it's very possible to exercise your spiritual gift or your spiritual gifts without love, without peace, without patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control. That's dangerous. It's dangerous. Don't allow the gifts of the Spirit to take priority over the fruit of the Spirit. It's very possible to exercise your spiritual gift or spiritual gifts in the flesh. It's possible to serve very begrudgingly. It's possible to teach with a really bad attitude. It's possible to give with really foul motives. It's possible to serve just in hopes of being noticed. God is not only concerned with what you do, 
He is also concerned with the heart attitude with which you do it. We're all growing here. We're all growing here. The more we're growing in Christ-like character, the more usefulness our giftedness will be to the body. Let me just rewind that statement. That's really important. The more that you grow in Christ-like character, the more useful your gifting will be to the body. Be to the body. Number two, don't allow a preoccupation with your spiritual gift to keep you from serving in areas outside of your giftedness. One pitfall that we want to avoid as it pertains to our spiritual gifting or spiritual giftedness is to compartmentalize our lives in such a way that we don't do anything that is outside of the lane of our giftedness. In other words, to say that my spiritual gift is serving, so therefore I don't have to give. Or I'm a teacher, so I don't need to get my hands dirty in mercy ministry. God hasn't given us that option. Don't allow a preoccupation with how God has gifted you uniquely to cause you from operating outside of the lane or off the tracks of the specific gift that God has given you. There's a real sense in which each one of us, regardless of our unique gifting, is responsible to serve the ministries of all the gifts. So regardless if you've been given this particular gift or that particular gift, there is a sense in which you have a responsibility as a blood-bought believer to serve the ministry of all the gifts. You're going to be better at some because God's uniquely gifted you in some. But just don't let that preoccupation with the way that God has gifted you keep you from serving in areas outside of your giftedness. Third and lastly here, don't allow an uncertainty about your spiritual gift to keep you from serving at all. Okay? Don't think to yourself, because I don't have this nailed down, because it isn't written in all caps on the front page of my Bible, because I can't articulate it precisely, therefore I'm just going to sit on my hands. That doesn't help anybody. That doesn't help anybody. Don't allow an uncertainty about your spiritual gift keep you from serving at all. We want to avoid, avoid that. That isn't the way God works, brothers and sisters. God has designed it such that we learn our particular gifted by the means of serving in the church. That's how you learn. That's how you discern. That's how you figure out. That's how you distill. That's how you clarify what your gift is to begin with. You just jump in and begin serving. As you grow and as you get involved in various ministries, your giftedness will become evident. It may not become evident day number one, but as you continue serving, it will rise to the surface. It'll become evident. A better question than what is my spiritual gift might be this. How can I serve Christ and His people? I'm not trying to create a false dichotomy there. They're both important questions. But perhaps a better question than what is my spiritual gift, perhaps a better question is how can I serve Christ and His people? You see, the latter will get you moving, and when you're moving, you'll learn in what capacity God has designed you to serve within the body of Christ. Commit to being a moving object.
Don't use uncertainty as an excuse. Use it as an encouragement to get busy. Get busy. Try things. Ask. Hey, I, I see that over there. Do you need anybody? I don't necessarily know how I could help, but, but if you could use an extra warm body, I'd love to jump in. Or perhaps you do know some of your giftedness and you can identify it and you can say, in light of that, that's really a good area for me to serve in. Brothers, sisters, friends, let me encourage you. We need to get off the sideline and into the game. You know the old 80-20 rule, right? 20% of the church does 80% of the work. Perhaps that statistic is too generous. How are you serving? And it doesn't have to be in a way that everyone knows or sees. This is in your own heart. How are you serving? I was having a conversation uh, with, with a dear, precious lady that is going to be joining our church here soon. She was just a part of our starting point class. I met with her this last week in a new member interview. And we were talking about the fact that not everybody has the same capacity. I get it. When you're 60, 70, 80 years old, you don't have the energy and the capacity, usually, it's not a blanket statement, but usually that you did when you were younger. That's okay. That's okay. Don't toss the towel in. Don't toss. You have an incredible opportunity. I tell our young people all the time, if you see somebody in the hallway that is over 60 years old, talk to them and figure out when you can get lunch with them. Because they have a wealth of wisdom and life experience. Probably years of walking with the Lord that they can turn around and just let the sparks of that fall in such a healthy way. I was encouraging this particular lady that was sitting in my office. You know, maybe, maybe a way that you can serve the body is every new mom or every new baby that's born is a better way to say it. You could write that mom just a short, encouraging note. No one else in here is going to be any wiser that you ever did that. But it's a great way that you can serve. Your gifts don't have to be used from up front. Your gifts don't have to be used in a very visible way. Some of yours will. But where are you engaged? How are you serving the body of Christ? I want you to think about that. I want you to pray about that. We'd love to see more and more of our congregation where it becomes a part of the, more a part. I, I'm not, uh, this isn't like the sky is falling here, but more a part of our DNA, of our fabric, that it is just woven into the way that we operate, that every individual in the body is involved in some way. Not everybody can play the violin. Casey sure can. Praise the Lord. Not everybody can stand behind a pulpit. There are a handful of us that can. And on and on and on. You could continue to think of examples like that. Don't be envious of a way that another person is gifted. Don't serve begrudgingly. But find a place that you can jump in and be involved. Even if no one ever sees it. How can you serve? How can you serve? And as you do, I think your gifting will bubble to the surface. There'll be a sense of joy. As that gifting does become evident to others, you'll see some encouragement from others. Hey, you're, you're really gifted in that area. The Lord really uses you when you do that. Keep doing that. 
that internal sense of joy and pleasure before the Lord when I serve, and then I've got that external confirmation people are telling me, yeah, keep at that. Keep at that. Number four, and here's the bulk of our message this morning. I want to encourage you to use your giftedness wholeheartedly. Use your giftedness wholeheartedly. It's important for us to know that Paul's list of spiritual gifts in verses 6 through 8 here is representative and not exhaustive. This is not an exhaustive list of the gifts. As a matter of fact, there are four places where there is specific teaching on the spiritual gifts in the New Testament. We find them in Romans chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then in Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. Two twelves, two fours. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. And if you synthesize those four places in the New Testament where the gifts are spoken about or taught on, you will see that there are 19 gifts mentioned in the New Testament. Paul only lists seven of them in our text this morning. And so instead of giving us an exhaustive list, Paul seems more interested in giving us broad categories of gifts and then he encourages us to employ or to use the ones that we have. Get busy is the emphasis of our text this morning. Jump in is the emphasis of our text this morning. Don't sit idly by. Don't sit idly by. And so here are seven of those unique gifts out of the 19 that are given to us in the New Testament. Perhaps many of you here this morning are gifted in one of these ways, if not more than one of these ways. Let's talk about them individually. Number one, write this down. If you have the gift of prophecy, speak with great faith. If you have the gift of prophecy, speak with great faith. And Paul says here, if prophecy, look at your Bible, if prophecy in proportion to your faith, if prophecy is your gift, then use it in proportion to our faith. Now, there are two ways that prophecy has been used in the Bible. Two unique ways. It has been used to describe foretelling, and it has been used in, the, in terms of forthtelling. Foretelling, F-O-R-E, telling, and forth, F-O-R-T-H, telling. In the Old Testament, many of the prophets were given direct revelation from God to speak to the people, and they would communicate oftentimes with this preface, Thus says the Lord. And they would give, give the prophecy. Friends, I believe that the gift of prophecy in terms of communicating as one who has been inspired has ceased with the apostles. We have God's completed word. We have the canon here sitting on your lap, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, that was not completed in these days. And so God was speaking divinely, directly through individuals uh, to his people. God still speaks directly and divinely to his people today. It's right here in black and white. If you want to hear God speak to you, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, Read it aloud. God is still speaking today. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that God is speaking to us today through His Son. Through His Son. 
But we want some new direct revelation from God. When God says, do you even know what I've told you to begin with? Are you even well acquainted with what I've already said? I believe the gift of prophecy in these terms, foretelling, speaking about the future, events that are to come, I believe that that gift of prophecy in those terms has ceased with the apostles. Ceased with the apostles. There's nothing mystical about the gift of prophecy that Paul speaks about here in verse 6. Matter of fact, the Greek word for prophecy here literally means to stand in front of another person and to declare God's word. To stand in front of another person or other persons and to declare God's word. Essentially, it's the gift of preaching. It's the, the gift of declaring what God has already spoken to us. Essentially, the gift of preaching. It's the God-given ability to authoritatively declare biblical truth in such a way as to convict and to build up the hearers. Notice the qualification that Paul adds to the gift of prophecy. He says that we're to exercise it, if we have this gift, in proportion to our faith. I would submit to you that actually a better translation would be in proportion to the faith. Your Bible and my Bible does not add the Greek direct object that is there in the original coin, a Greek, but there is. There is a direct object there, the word the, speaking about that faith. Not faith in general, your faith in general, but in proportion to the faith. I think that's a better way to translate it here. What Paul means here is that there are controls or limitations set on the one who has the gift of prophecy. In other words, we are not to go beyond what Scripture teaches. The one who has the gift of prophecy is limited in what he can say because what he can say is limited to what God has already said. Jude wrote it this way, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. If anybody stands in this pulpit and they declare something other than what God has already declared, there ought to be red warning lights going off in your mind. God has spoken. He has spoken authoritatively. He has spoken decisively. And as a preacher, we are tethered to that word. I say only what he has already said. I declare only what he has already declared. The one who has the gift of prophecy speaks nothing other than that which was once for all delivered to the saints. Nothing more, nothing less. If you have the desire to preach, and we have some young men in our congregation that have the desire to preach, and nothing fires me up more than that. But if you have the desire to preach, and when you do, people are convicted, encouraged, and built up, then it is very likely that you have the gift of prophecy. And if you do, use it. Use it. Number two, if you have the gift of service, then serve others well. Paul says, look at your Bible there, if service in our serving. We get our word service from the Greek word diakonia. That's where we get our word deacons, right? 
Paul isn't only referring to those who are deacons in the church, though deacons, I think, uh, should and usually do possess this particular gift. The service that Paul speaks about here is service in a broad sense. It's embracing of all kinds of ministry for the glory of Christ and the good of the church. I mean, friends, let me just, let me just give you a little bit of the list uh, of things that need to be done around here. Per- perhaps uh, maybe many hands will make light the load. I mean, think about it. Carpets need to be vacuumed. Light bulbs need to be changed. The doors have to be locked and unlocked. The coffee has to be made. The children need to be cared for and taught. The facility has to be maintained. One of our ladies here, there are probably more of them because they serve in ways that we don't even know, but one of our ladies here spends hours with a clipper pruning our bushes and making our flowers look beautiful. Praise God for her. We're all the beneficiaries of that. Praise God for her. Missionaries need to be prayed for. Envelopes need to be sealed. Copies need to be made. Single moms need to be cared for. VBS is coming up. If Cher hasn't already contacted you, answer the call when she does. Don't play the shady button game. Answer the call. Respond to the text. Visitors need to be greeted at the front door. The trash needs to be taken out. The walls need to be washed. The soundboard needs to be run. Tablecloths need to be washed. The grass needs to be cut. We have a thriving youth group that you could serve. Some of our young men, some of our young ladies, post-grads, young 20-somethings are serving in our youth. It's not confined to that age demographic, by the way. How How can you serve our youth? Are there college students that you can invite to your home? College students, listen. If they won't invite you, invite yourself. Okay? Literally. You just walk right up uh, to them and say, Hi, my name is Eric. I'm a college student here at the chapel. Uh, I am a, uh, I'm a nursing major at SEMO, and I would like to know what's on the lunch menu for today. <laughs> and just leave it at that, okay? Okay? Take me up on my, on my offer. And when it takes place, chapel members... Uh, don't, don't act like you didn't hear it. Don't keep walking. Don't change the subject. Okay? Now listen, if a college student does not ask you for lunch in the next 168 hours, that's in case you need some help with the math, that's until next Sunday. Lord willing, we're all able to assemble again. Then you turn to a college student or a youth and say, Hi, my name is Eric. I serve as one of the pastors here at the chapel. My wife and I would love to have you over for lunch today. We're having PB&J. What time can you be there? Get to know each other. We come in and we sit in our same little spots Sunday after Sunday, and we get in our routines, and we dig our ruts, and we, we, we travel the same way in the hallways. We talk to the same people. Friends, enough of that. Enough of that. Invest in one another. Serve one another. How, how would you ever know how you can serve another? Unless you ask the question, by the way. And sometimes needs are very visible and they're, they're seen. How would you ever know how you can serve another? Unless you ask them. Don't touch them. Just ask them. Encouragement cards need to be written. Meals need to be prepared. We're all called to serve one another. Some are given this gift in a special measure in order to lead others in the work of service. Perhaps that's you. 
Perhaps it's you uh, that goes and gathers some of the flock and says, hey, here's what we're going to do. Why don't you come with us? Why don't you get involved as well? Let me just make a shameless plug here. We have a chapel workday coming up on Saturday, April the 4th. Just write that down in the margin of your notes, by the way. Saturday, April 4th, workday. And because you just wrote it down, it's now in two places on your bulletin. It's right there in the margin where you wrote it, and it's right in the middle with a nice, pretty-looking graphic to grab your attention. Let me, let me just encourage you that we are all the beneficiaries of a wonderful facility, but it takes a whole lot to keep this thing going. A lot of us walk in on Sunday mornings, and you don't even think about the fact that somebody has, has mopped the tile in the new entryway of the north and the south uh, hallways. You don't even think about the fact that someone has got to walk through and clear the pews after the service and uh, pick up any trash that is left behind. You don't even think about those things that need to be done systematically, like the fact that uh, some of our, our kiddos' play equipment needs uh, a new coat of stain on it, or perhaps the side of the building needs to be whitewashed, or not whitewashed, but power-washed, uh, rather. See, these are things that have to be done on an ongoing and systematic way. We just kind of come in and we go to our Sunday school class and we sit and hear the message and then we leave and we just think that it's going to be done by itself. Well, friends, just like in our own homes, things don't just get done by themselves. And so instead of us ordering five pizzas and feeding three people on Saturday, April 4th, what if we had to order more pizza? What if we had to order more pizza? Just a practical application there. If God has given you the gift of serving, and I would venture to say God has given... I don't want to step beyond the bounds, but I would say that God has given many of us the gift of service. Okay? Let's get busy. Number three, if you have the gift of teaching, teach with all your heart. Teach with all your heart. I'm going to teach with all my heart, and I'm going to just buzz through pages here. Quickly. Listen, third, look at your Bible. Paul says, the one who teaches in his teaching. What's the difference between prophecy and teaching, you might ask? Did any of you ask the question? I'm glad you did. The Greek word for teaching here in verse 7 is didasko. It's the word from which we derive our English word didactic. You see, if prophecy is the authoritative proclamation of God's Word, then teaching is the very unique ability to explain and apply the Word of God. The teaching is an ongoing, more systematic, uh, in-nature gift. It seeks to move a person from point A to point B to point C in their life. It can refer to a Sunday school teacher, someone who disciples another in a one-on-one -on -one relationship, James Montgomery Boyce once said, if I, I'm sorry, if you know anything about Jesus and the gospel, you should teach what you know, formally if you have the opportunity, but also informally by casual word or testimony. How are you teaching? How are you investing in the life of another to help move them from A to B to C in their Christian life? One of the qualifications for an elder, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 3, was that an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Your shepherds must be able to teach, to apply the Word of God to the flock. To apply the Word of God 
Donald Gray Barnhouse gives us some, some helpful perspective here in this area of teaching. He asks this, he says, have I listened to his voice? He's going to qualify that here in just a minute. He's not speaking about listening to God's voice in a mystical way, but he says, have I listened to God's voice? Have I laid my own reason in the dust before him in order to take it again? Enlightened by God for use in service. Have I been spiritually alert and dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Here's his qualification. Have I gone to him again and again? Have I sought his word to refresh my own soul before speaking to others? Have I tried to live what it is that I teach and preach? Have I acknowledged my sins when the Lord has showed them to me and repented of them? Have I recognized moment by moment my utter dependence upon the Lord? Have I been lazy or have I been diligent? Have I insulted the Lord by feeding his sheep with ill-prepared food? Some good perspective when you think about teaching. Teaching takes place in homes. Teaching takes place in Sunday school classes, discipleship relationships, older women teaching, younger women. Hey, Ladies, let me get your eyeballs here for just a second. I can't see you because I don't have my contacts in, but just let me get your eyeballs. Listen, please, for the glory of Christ and the good of younger women, will you invest in them? Will you invest in them? You don't have to know everything. All you have to know is something they don't, as a matter of fact. But you probably have some life experience. You've probably taken a trip or two around the block that they have yet to take. Perhaps you're a mother. Perhaps you are just a married woman. You probably have some life experience in walking with the Lord that you can turn around and just shower on our younger ladies. They're hungry for that. Can I tell you? Now, you older ladies, because when I say older, I'm not going to put a definement on that or put parameters on it, okay? Because that would put nails in my own coffin. But you, you middle-aged ladies, who I hope are turning around and investing in our younger generation, will you look up to an older woman who can pour into you? Ladies, if you are 65, 75, 80, and we have some, by God's grace, that are independent, living on their own, that are older than that, will you please, for the glory of Christ and the good of his bride, love on and invest in the younger generation? Men, just insert men everywhere that I said women and do the same. Do the same. If you have the gift of exhortation, seek to encourage. If you have the gift of exhortation, seek to encourage. Paul moves on to the gift of exhortation here. Look at your Bible, he says, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation. These are those wonderful gifts of encouragement. Matter of fact, the Greek word that Paul uses here uh, for exhortation is parakaleo. Parakaleo. Many of you are probably familiar with the word paraclete. It's the word that we use to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The fact that he comes alongside. He's a paraclete. Comes alongside of another. This word's used 107 times in the New Testament, and it's translated beseech or comfort or pray or entreat or console or counsel. It means the one who comes alongside to help build up. Encouragement literally means to put courage into now, we have a whole lost world who has lost encouragement in earthly things recently. Not only can you put courage into believers, but you can put godly courage into non-believers as well and point them to the hope that we have in our risen, ruling, reigning, soon-returning King. 
It means to put courage into. Put courage into your children. Courage into your grandchildren. Put courage into your nieces and nephews. Put courage into your neighbor. Put courage into your coworker. Put courage into your spouse. We live in an incredibly narcissistic age in which it appears as if everyone is preoccupied with his or her own needs and concerns. Oh, how great there is a need, especially in the church, for those with the gift of coming alongside the hurting with the encouragement of God's Word. Will you do that? Maybe you've been gifted in that way. Exhortation means a whole lot more than a pat on the back or an attaboy or an girl. It focuses on the application of truth to everyday life. So you don't just encourage one another with just some sort of earthly philosophy or earthly wisdom. No, when you, when you put courage into, you put biblical wisdom into. You put the encouragement of the nature, the character, the attributes of God, the promises of God into another person. Maybe you have the gift of exhortation. Number five, maybe you have the gift of giving. If so, give generously and joyfully from a pure heart. Like Paul says, to the one who contributes in generosity. Though we're all encouraged to give cheerfully, God has uniquely gifted some who have a special desire, a special heart to meet needs from their resources. A few times, a few times in my ministry, I have had an individual or a family call me and ask if there were any special needs in the church that, that required additional resources. I say, praise the Lord. Not everybody can do that, I understand. But what an encouragement that is. Are there any needs that I'm unaware of that require additional resources, places that I could invest? What a question to ask. What a blessing these people are. Friends, you don't have to have a lot of money to have the gift of giving, by the way. It has far less to do with the amount and more to do with the heart, the attitude, and the desire you have when you see a need. What goes on in your heart when you see a need? is a much better way to identify whether you've been given the gift of giving than what your bank account balance says. Number six, if you have the gift of leadership, then lead diligently. Lead diligently. Paul says, the one who leads, lead with zeal. God has gifted many within the body of Christ uh, with this gift of administration, organizing, managing, leading, overseeing. As a matter of fact, elders are to be able to manage the flock. 1 Timothy 3.5. Leadership is to motivate, it's to coordinate, it's to oversee the, the, the ministry of others. It's to bring others along. We're to exercise it diligently. Diligence means that a leader is dependable, trustworthy, that he or she can be counted on, that he or she is self-disciplined a motivator of others. There's a major difference between leadership and just driving people. Cattle need to be driven. People need to be led. They need to be led. Dwight Eisenhower once used a, a wonderful illustration for leadership with a simple piece of string. He would tell you that if you pull on the string, it follows, but if you push the string, it goes nowhere. It's true. Who can you pull on a little bit and say, come, come along. Come with me. Let's do this together. Leadership. Leadership. Do it with great love for God, love for others, and great patience. Leadership takes patience. 
the results are not always immediate. Pray for, love, encourage. Maybe even you have to equip somebody else to give them tools to help them, to call them to come along with you. Leaders lead regardless of whether they are acknowledged or titled. Okay? No one needs to, to know. You don't need a title to lead. Just do it. Number seven, and lastly here, if you have the gift of mercy, love people cheerfully. Lastly here, Paul says, look at your Bible, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy is the gift of special love, care, and concern for the hurting. It takes many forms, potentially working with the poor, serving one who is handicapped or less able, perhaps visiting the sick. Mercy perceives people's hurts and gently and lovingly consoles them. Friends, let me just encourage you, every single believer without exception has been the recipient of lavish mercy from God. And so we are in turn to show mercy to others. Notice how those who have the gift of mercy are to serve here. Paul tells us that they're to do so cheerfully. Let's not begrudgingly. The Greek word here is actually the word from which we get our English word hilarious. If you have the gift of mercy, love people hilariously. Maybe that colors it a little bit better for you. Mercy is not just to be shown reluctantly or patronizingly, but cheerfully. If you have this gift, use it with great joy. Friends, hear, hear me here. The bright countenance of a Christian makes the presentation of the gospel all the sweeter. The bright countenance. Not manufactured, not fake. Just the bright countenance of the Christian makes the proclamation of the gospel or the presentation of the gospel all the sweeter. If you have the gift of mercy, love people cheerfully. Well, let me close with just a few concluding thoughts here. I appreciate your, your attention here. How do you learn what your spiritual gift is? Let me just clip off a few things here. First, make sure you know Christ. If you don't know Christ, uh, then you don't have a spiritual gift to use. Repent of your sin, turn to Christ in faith, become a new creation and a part of your regeneration, a part of your becoming new in Christ, alive in Christ, is that you are given a gift to edify and build up the body. But make sure that you know Christ. Secondly, present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. By the way, if you back up in Romans 12, that's the whole foundation of these spiritual gifts, by the way. First, you must present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And then you can turn around and serve others. Third, study the passages from God's Word that deal with spiritual gifts. I've given you two twelves and two fours. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. And then next, just ask God for wisdom to help you discern your giftedness. If any of you lacks wisdom, God gives it graciously, abundantly. Next, just jump in and start serving. Like, I mean, it's like when you're learning to swim, you kind of like go to the side of the pool and you got your big floaties on there and your big blown up round thing around you and your goggles that look too big for your face and you just kind of hold your nose and you do this. Maybe we could do that in some areas of servitude. Just jump in, okay? Jump in. Then listen to what others are commending you for doing. Listen to ways that others are encouraging you. And then lastly, be content with how God's gifted you. We are so tempted to look around at others and to size ourselves up and to say, well, he or she, but I, and, and, and we're constantly doing this. Friends, even outside of this area of giftedness, many of us, by the time that you stand up just moments from now and you, you get from where you're sitting to your car, you will measure yourself by someone else. 
That's a poor standard. Poor standard. It's a bad dipstick. Be confident and content in the gifts that God has given you. I've said all I need to say. Can I call you up? And can I call you in? It takes a village, one church, one body, many parts, many members, living interdependently, exercising our God-given gift for the good of the whole. How will you be a part? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, such challenging, convicting, yet practical and applicable teaching here uh, from Romans chapter 12. I pray, uh, Lord, that you would challenge, uh, poke, prod, stir, cause to think and meditate on. Uh, Lord, I pray that all those things would take place in the hearts and minds of every single one uh, of the individuals sitting in this room this morning and those who will listen to this message after the fact. Lord, would you cause us to be a church that is known by its DNA as a serving church, as a church whose members are using their God-given giftedness for the good of the whole, and that all those things would be done for the glory of King Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.